him like that. But then you'd still have to get rid of the cow. She would say, you know, bring the cow. <laughs> We're constantly hitting um, the face for each other. Soon no one's going to remember the name of Wix, so better do it now. Okay, we saw this film on the weekend in Australia, but it was actually really brilliant. This is wrong. It is indeed. I couldn't not write. I couldn't not tell stories. I felt adequately prepared and it was quite terrifying. <laughs> I've explored what I, what I need to explore. Hello, and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name's Matthew Eels. Uh, in this episode, I'm speaking with Australian actress Sophie Don about her career so far and her new Australian creature feature, Red Billabong. For a 25-year-old, Sophie seems way beyond her years. She's one of the most genuine, passionate, fun and enthusiastic professionals I've ever interviewed. Sophie is relatively new to the industry, having only enjoyed a handful of performances, including her debut in Red Billabong. Sophie's previous roles include TV series Yesterday's History, short film Oranges Don't Go on Trees with Sarah Snook, and web series Avalon Now alongside Red Billabong co-star Felix Williamson. Listeners can catch Sophie in uh, Red Billabong when it's released in Australian cinemas on August 25. I believe tickets are on sale now for the premiere. Anyway, enjoy. So, yeah, Sophie, thank you very much for uh, joining the Cinema Australia podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I want to start by talking about uh, Red Billabong, which is your first feature film. Uh, What was the the experience like working on uh, such a unique Australian film? You know, it was one of those things where we all showed up and everybody was so excited to be there. And I think that's one of the great things about the Aussie film industry is that everybody's so passionate about what they do. Um, it was just, it was just fun. You know, it was, it was quick. We were definitely, we were, we were on a very tight schedule. You know, money, money tends to run the schedules for most Australian productions. I think. Um, but the crew and the cast, everybody just was there to really make a great finished product and everyone was really generous and I just, I had such a fun time. And and in terms of uh, CGI, what was that like, uh, uh, working with a a creature that uh, most of the time probably wasn't really there? It definitely wasn't there nine times out of ten. So for for those listening at home, um, the creature... Um, if people have seen the trailer by now, they've seen um, that last scene in the trailer where I'm face down with uh, our friendly neighbourhood monster and I was acting opposite a stick with a tennis ball on the end of it. Um, I felt we had very good chemistry, but um, it, was, it was a challenge. It was a real challenge, you know. That's the time where your actor imagination has come into play and being afraid of a stick is, uh, is not always easy. It was a really awesome challenge and I'd seen preliminary sketches um, from Luke and the uh, special effects teams, but I really had no concept of how it was going to turn out at the end. I just, I think they've done an awesome job and it's, you know, I think it's a really, it's a really impressive creature. So uh, not only was it uh, would it have been a challenge, but I imagine it would be uh, invaluable uh, experience as well because uh, a lot of films, and especially if you're planning to head over to the US, a lot of films have CGI on it nowadays. So to do one for your first film must have been uh, quite invaluable. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, I mean, it was a 
Yeah, that's that's a really excellent point. You know, I think it's I think a lot of the time those big blockbuster films um, they cop a lot of slack, especially you know the actors that get involved in those big blockbuster films because they're all special effects and there's big explosions and everything's put in in post production. But I think people forget from like an actor's perspective how challenging that is. You know, if you're playing Thor or you're playing Magneto or you're playing somebody from the Star Wars franchise where you're having to completely envision crushing a building with your hand or seeing explosions in front of your face or, you know, watching somebody transform in front of you and you're having to really sell that when there's nothing happening in front of you. I think people forget that that's actually really, it's difficult. And that's not to say that it's any more or less difficult than acting without those special effects um, scenarios, Mm -hmm. but I think think often people don't give the credit where it's due for those performances because it's actually it's actually really up to the actors sometimes to sell it before you have the special effects put in Mm. so yeah it really was it was it was very it was very useful um to have that as my first experience and hopefully i did it justice (laughs) um going by the trailer it looks like you have um so tell us a bit about you you. i'll take that thank you (laughs) tell us a bit about your character uh, Anya. Is it Anya? Oh, or Anya. Yes, Anya. There's, there was a bit of a debate to begin with whether it was Anya or Anya, but I just thought <laughs> if we're going to have a name like Anya, we're not going to say Anya at the beginning. Um, so I put my foot down quite early and she was Anya. Um, so Anya is, uh, without getting too much away, is Dan's character Nick's uh, ex-girlfriend, and he's come back into town and shakes things up for her. But she was a character when I read the script that Luke brought to me and told me straight up that he wanted somebody who was not a damsel in distress, who had spunk, who had charisma, who had a bit of feistiness, um, which, you know, I took as a compliment when he said that was why he looked at me um, for the role. But it was it was really exciting to get to play a female character who's, who's intelligent and resourceful and she's, she's actually really brave, you know. She gets thrown into a number of situations, which I can't go into too much detail about yet, Unfortunately, but I mean, even if people have seen the trailers, they can see that there's a lot of rough and tumble that happens uh, for Anya. And yeah, she's she's just she was a really awesome character to play, especially in a genre film like this, where often I think the girls are waiting around to be saved. And it was really nice for for a change to get to feel like I could reflect up on a screen, even in you know a popcorn action film like this. Something that I felt was a bit more true representation of Aussie women and also just women in general. I think that's really, you know, the the theme of the moment is seeing women who aren't just spending their time waiting around for somebody else to sort problems out. Yeah. So is that the kind of character that you hope to uh, to play throughout your career, that, uh, that strong-willed kind of woman? Definitely. I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a bit of a, a dichotomy these days where people kind of box women into being either one or the other and I have to say I look at someone like Daisy Ridley in in Star Wars and I thought she did such a fabulous job because there she was playing the heroine but there were still moments where she was vulnerable which you know is is human you can't be tough all the time and you can't be afraid all the time and you know the the women who I look up to the the actresses who I look up to the Kate Blanchett the Julianne Moores the Charlize Theron's um, of the world um, are women who play both of those characters and explore the whole spectrum.
spectrum of the human and the female experience. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, there's a, there's a running theme in the brief that I get through, which often say sassy, sarcastic, tough, opinionated, uh, which I'm not, I don't know where they're getting these ideas from. But, um, yeah, they're definitely, they're definitely the characters I think are the most interesting to play because I think it's interesting to watch people struggle with having to be strong and at the same time having to wrestle with, you know, what's, what's human. Uh, you obviously made a great impression uh, on the film's director, Luke Spark, uh, who invited you to audition for Red Billabong after starring in uh, Yesterday's History. Uh, yes. Tell us a bit about working uh, with Luke as a director. Luke's great. Luke's, um, Luke's a very film-oriented director. He's got a very clear vision in his head from the beginning of how he wants things to look and how he wants things to sound and how he wants things to feel, which was really... Um, which was really great for somebody who was coming in, you know, admittedly so fresh. He had a very clear picture in his head of how he wanted this movie to look, and I think he's very satisfied that the finished product is going to be very true to that vision. Um, he's super collaborative, you know, even when we worked on yesterday's history. I mean, again, it's, you know, when you when the clock's ticking and you've just got to get it done, he's not precious about how you say lines and... You know, there was a lot of room to improv in Red Billabong. A lot of those lines that came out in the end were very much part of um, the chemistry that all of the cast had together. And, um, yeah, he's he's very relaxed in that way, which was nice because I'd worked with some directors previously, uh, especially when you're at drama school, who can be quite prescriptive. So it was nice to have the freedom, especially, you know, in my first big film, to just be able to trust my instincts a little bit and do what I felt the character would do or say in that situation. Okay. He's, he's a great guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, no, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a really um, comprehensive understanding of film, which I think is so important if you can be a director. Uh, so, so as a newcomer to the industry, how do you prepare going into a role like this or, or do you just wing it and hope for the best? I mean, I, I, mean, I know you're a professional, but, uh, you know, it, is, it was your first role. Lots of tequila. No, 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 I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, the funny thing is, you know, you can, it's one of those things, it's, I mean, I won't liken it to being a doctor in that, you know, we're not saving lives by any stretch, but it's one of those things where you can only learn so much in a classroom or learn so much in a studio before you just have to go out there and trust that you will work it out when you do it. And, yeah, I mean, this this film, my first scene that we shot for Red Billabong, was um, was one of my last, and it's quite um, quite a high stakes emotional scene, and I was really nervous. <laughs> to look, how could you give me this straight off the bat? <laughs> and he said to me um, at the time after he worked with me on yesterday's history, he's like, as far as I'm concerned, you've already got the runs on the board. I already know that you can do it, so I'm not worried. Oh, and that really gave me that really gave me a lot of calm going into it, um, and that. You know, you just find the moment where you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you just go, well, about to find out if I know what I'm doing. Um, and that's sometimes all it is. You know, there's a lot of preparation. I think people don't realise it goes into preparing for a role or preparing for a film, it, the project itself or a play or a television series or anything like that. But often the, the teaching that you get told a lot of the time is that you do all the preparation so that you can forget about it as soon as you're there. Mm-hmm. And I really try to just, like, employ that as much as possible and... Once you get into the groove of it, you start going, oh, wow, like it just starts to flow. And when you have a cast and a crew, we just work together so seamlessly. It all just, 
it all sort of comes together in the end, I guess. Uh, so not only did you uh, make a great impression on Luke, but uh, your Red Billabong co-star Felix Williamson also cast you in his web series Avalon Now. Uh, did that come yes, as a did. did that come as a surprise to you? Yeah, we were um, we were actually at uh, a Comic Con. I don't remember which one. It might have been a Supernova. We've done a couple of those, so I apologise. <laughs> no. You have done but, quite a few. Um, we've done a few. Yeah. So we were sitting there, and he was telling me about this concept that he had. Uh, for Avalon now and how it was a parody for Redfern now and oh it just it just sounded so brilliant and after working with Felix and we spent a lot of nights together on the night shoots and um, Felix is just people don't realise like he is so exceptionally talented and so hilarious and has this like just plethora of accents and characters up his sleeve that he would just whip out while we were waiting around to start shooting. And so when he mentioned it, I, I said, I, you know, if they were interested in having me, I'd love to be involved. And there I was two days later, I got a call saying that he had a gig for me in it. And, um, you know, I, I spent a week with them while they were shooting it. And it was just this incredible experience where you just had no idea who was going to show up to set each day. Because Felix had just roped in all of his mates from, you know, his very long career that he's had. And there I was seeing people like Richard Roxburgh show up and people like Jeremy Sims there and uh, Susan Pryor and Helen Thompson. And these are people who I would absolutely love to work with, wow. obviously, on a, on a more personal basis. And it was, it was incredible. I, and it was just all these people were hilarious, you know. So it was just, it was, it was really fun. Wow. But I'm very, I'm very grateful that Felix gave me the opportunity to work on that because I think it's really, it's an awesome, awesome web series. And if people haven't seen it, they really need to check it out because it's hilarious. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't seen it yet, but after reading about it last night, I, I, I definitely should try to catch it. Um, he really is one of our great um, character actors. Anyway, he's, he is a, he's a, an hilarious person. No, he really is. And, you know, it's funny, the industry in Australia, I find, and I'm guilty of it too, is often, you know, you'll hear names of actors and you go, who's that? And then you'll see the picture of them and go, oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, they were in this and they are in this and they are in this. And Felix, for some unknown reason to me, has become, I think, for a lot of people, one of those actors. And he's, you know, you look one, take one look on his IMDb and he's got a list the length of your arm. Oh, yeah. And that was the funny thing, you know, having him on... On, uh, on Red Billabong as we've got a lot of people that, that people immediately recognise but Felix really had been doing it longer than most of us put together <laughs> and so it was such a pleasure to get to see somebody who's, who's so seasoned and so professional and just really talented but yes, people need to check out Avalon now he is hilarious okay. with it. he's so funny Did you ever see uh, Ned? Uh, the parody of um, uh, Ned Kelly which Abe Forsyth made? I'm going to confess that I did not. You must see it because Felix is hilarious in it. He's, he's, oh my he's gosh, so I'm funny. Look at it. Any, anything Felix is in, I can immediately assume is funny. Yeah, so have to I'll have to it. go and look it up. <laughs> um, so, if I remember correctly, I saw you last year down at Cinefest Oz uh, interviewing celebs on the red carpet. And uh, here you oh, are. Oh, no, that must have been my twin. <laughs> and here you are now becoming this, uh, you know, this big star. Has all of this happened very quickly for you? You know, definitely when you put it like that, it has. Um, I'm very blessed that, you know, I've been I've been busy since I graduated uh, from QUT well, going on 200 years now. And, um, yeah, it, you know, I think it's interesting as well when people often, 
recognise that it, oh, it goes so quickly and it really, it's one of those careers that has this bizarre parallel where you can either be plugging away at it for 10 years and you sort of work your way up slowly and then there's the other way it happens where, you know, you get that phone call and suddenly everything changes for you. But, you know, there's, it's, you know, they talk about it being like a duck. It's very calm on the top and then you've got these things madly pedaling underneath the surface. And it is like that, you know, there's a lot of work and there's a lot of um, auditions and waiting around and meltdowns and what am I doing this for? And then the ecstasy when you do get a job and there is a lot of that, but no, I'm, I'm very blessed that it's, it's kind of gone in the past on the path that it has, and yeah, so when you put it like that, it is kind of quickly. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting point that you made at the beginning because I know quite a few actors who, are, who have been in the industry, well, trying to break into the industry for the last ten years and just haven't really seemed to gotten anywhere. And then for others, it can just happen so quickly. What what's some advice that you might offer to um to young actors and actresses uh, like that? It's funny because I. I actually saw a little video recently um, from Hugo Weaving, funnily enough, from Cinefest Oz, and somebody asked him a very similar question, and his response was, oh, I never give advice. Oh. I thought that was so interesting, because I thought, oh, God, like, if Hugo Weaving is not giving people advice, then who are any of us to give advice? <laughs> but all I, I went, oh, shit, I better make sure I never give any advice of my own. Um, but... All, all I can offer is the experience that I've had and the experience that I've witnessed for people that I know in this industry. And I think a lot of people put it down to luck, and it's it's not. It's that whole idea of you make your own luck, and the people who end up cracking it, whether it's after a year, two years, five years, ten years, is that they they work very hard. They're not put off by the rejection that is very much part and parcel with this industry, <laughs> and they. They, they're nice people. You know, I think people often don't realise, and I heard a talk a little while ago where someone said that being talented is only one quarter of what will get you the job. <laughs> and the other things are whether or not you're either too close together, whether or not you're available, and then whether or not people want to spend 14 hours a day with you for six weeks or six months. And that can really sometimes be the thing that gets you the job is that they might be great for the role and then people are like, oh, God, I don't want to work with that person. And it's a very small town, it's a very small industry here or even in the States, you know, until you really get to the top echelons, you have to earn the right to be a diva. And so I think it's about being nice to everybody on set because you really have no idea when the person who's, you know, the camera assistant's assistant might be the guy who's the director of photography on a film. Mm-hmm. And people have very long memories. So for me, that was the that was the thing that I tend to stick to is just you treat everybody the same, you treat everybody with respect. And, I mean, you know, the crew are generally more interesting than the actors. I find they've got incredibly interesting jobs. And yes. They are the people I, I'm drawn to when I go and do jobs because um, I want to find out what everyone else is doing. But I think it, it's about understanding that just like anything, it's not it's not just a hop, skip and a jump and a bit of luck. It's you've got to work hard at what you do and hope that the right people notice. Yeah. yeah. And so speaking of Cinefest, or going back to Cinefest, you, you made Oranges Don't Grow on Trees with uh, Sarah Snook, uh, who was a guest at last year's festival. Uh, did, yeah, your ro- did your role in that have anything to do with meeting Sarah last year uh, down south? We didn't actually shoot on the same day, right. which is really unfortunate because I saw the footage afterwards and she's just, she's always awesome in that short film. Um, but I've met I've met Snook um, 
just through some mutual friends before Cinefest. So it was actually a really nice surprise. I didn't know she was going to be there until right before the festival. So that was really fun to get to see her. And, I mean, God, she's just gone from strength to strength. But she's another person who I just look at and go, she's talented and she's really nice. You know, she's just, she's super down to earth. She's really intelligent and she's a really seriously hard worker. Um, and I think that's part of what is able to explain her success is it's really, it's not luck. She's just, she's really great at what she does and she's kind. But I, I had a great time with her at Cinefest. She's, um, she was lovely and looked gorgeous. It's no surprise. She's always gorgeous. Um, always, always. <laughs> Sometimes I think that uh, she might have a twin, actually, because she seems to be in everything. Yes, she does. Don't <laughs> um, so, so you originally studied journalism, but uh, dropped out to pursue a career in acting. Uh, I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing there've been no regrets. No, um, there's a funny story that goes with that. Actually, so I went to private school. I got good marks. You know, I did a process of elimination of what I thought I would do at uni because I knew I didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a business person. Um, And I felt like my... It sounds silly when I reflect on it now, but I felt like my options were so limited in terms of what I felt like I could do that seemed like I wasn't wasting the marks I got, I guess, if you put it that way. So I I got into journalism, the communications course at UCS, which I have to say is a fantastic course. Um, and I, I went along there because I think I went, oh, I'm good at English and, you know, media is interesting and, you know, I like writing and, you know, maybe I'll get to interview people. But I, I used to tell people at the time when I told them what I was going to study, I was like, oh, I'm doing journalism, but I hope to end up on the big screen eventually. <laughs> and I'd say that in this one sentence and that still didn't make the penny drop to me. But like I say, it sounds really odd in hindsight, but I just never really made the connection between myself and how to turn this sort of foreign entity of the film industry into a career I just didn't I didn't understand how you could possibly do that I just kind of thought that was like a separate thing that only certain people miraculously were able to do so I went off and I did journalism and I got six months in and I just I hated it and it, it dawned on me one day, I was sitting in my lecture hall and there were 250 other people studying journalism. I looked around and realised I was the only person in that whole room who had no interest in the news. <laughs> I was like, well, there's my first problem. And then the other thing... The hell were you doing there? <laughs> I really don't know. In hindsight, I really don't know. And the other realisation was when they sort of said, oh, that their most famous alumnus was Hugh Jackman. And I thought to myself, oh, good, I'm in the right place then. And it just, it's that thing of, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of scepticism in this country, unfortunately, for this as a career. And people say, oh, you're so brave for doing, for doing acting. I'm like, no, you know, firefighters who run into burning buildings and save lives are brave. <laughs> I'm just playing dress up for money. Yeah. But I really did some soul searching and I was like, what would I be prepared to do for 14 hours a day for free? Because that's effectively what people were asking of us if we went into doing journalism and worked in a newsroom. And for me, it just kept coming back over and over and over again to, to acting. And it was the only thing I'd ever done that I loved and would do for free every day. Wow. And, you know, definitely, definitely no regrets. But it did give me a little bit of an insight into the, uh, the workings of the media world, which I think has been very useful. Yes. That, that'll definitely be useful. So I know all your tricks, Matthew. <laughs> all your tricks. Um, so, uh, well, that's put me on the spot now. <laughs> um, do you want to... Everyone. 
do you want to uh, continue working in Australia or would you prefer to uh, pursue an international career as, as soon as possible? I mean, I would love at this point in time, I'd love to work anywhere, um, you know, because really I just want to keep working. Um, I, I think there's really some incredible projects coming out of this country already and now there's that huge round of funding that's come out of um, Screen Australia, which is just so exciting to see what comes out of of that round of funding and which projects emerge um, quickly out of that. Uh, I'm definitely, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I had my sights set on the States. I just Mm. think, you know, when there's just a huge industry over there, the television industry is just booming in the States right now. And I'd be lying if I didn't say I would love to be a part of that because I think um, there's just, especially for women, there's really interesting characters coming out of that golden age, I suppose, if you want to call it, at the moment. So, yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I would love to head over and spread my wings and do it over there, but at the same time, I would love to be able to do what a lot of Aussie actors have done, which is come back and and and, and bring the clout they might have accrued overseas and bring it back here and, and feed it back into the Australian industry because it's full of really talented people who just don't get enough opportunity to shine. Mm-hmm. As far as the local industry goes, who's someone who you'd love to uh, work with here if, if you were given the opportunity? Oh, gosh. Um, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> you know, it's funny, the first person who comes to mind, there's so many, there's so many people that I would love to work with, but Kate Blanchett to me is just, she's just, she's just incredible. Mm-hmm. She's intelligent and she's driven and she's classy and... She's just so multifaceted that I just feel like being around her, you just would be impossible not to learn something just by like breathing the same air as her, I guess. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that's definitely somebody. So, Kate, if you're listening, I promise I will be super well behaved, but I would love to work with you. Um, yeah, Kate. No. Dream. Yeah, Kate. <laughs> why don't you work with me? Gosh. No, that would be a dream. That would be incredible. Oh, that's great. And she's she's an exceptional talent. Uh, did you ever... Have you met her before? No, uh, no, I haven't actually, but uh, hopefully one day. Um, one yes. of my, one of my maybe, fr- maybe you could be interviewing us together. That'd be awesome. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favourite things... One of my favourite things that she uh, made here was The Turning, uh, Tim Winton's The Turning. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, yeah, that was just, you know... I just I can't think of a project she's been attached to that hasn't been good. Really. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, okay, so I've got one more question. Uh, I, oh, well, gosh. actually, this is a, this is it's not so much a question, but a story on your behalf because I got in contact okay. with uh, Luke yesterday uh, and asked okay. him asked him if he had any anecdotes from uh, your time together on on Red Billabong, oh, and uh, he yep. he mentioned that you may have a funny story to tell uh, regarding a scene with Tim Pocock and Emmanuel Ute. Oh, gosh, he loves this story. They love this story because it makes me look silly. That's why they love this story. I thought it made you look good, actually, because Tim was the one who couldn't drive the year, right? It does until we get to the punchline, which I tend to sometimes leave out, but that's fine. Well, you've got to tell Um, us now. The story story goes that, um, which I still have a bit of a bone to pick with Luke, to be honest, um, is that... um, there's a, there's a ute in this film um, that was manual, as they often are, and uh, there's a scene towards the end of the film where Tim has to drive this ute with a bunch of us in the car and drives off into the sunset. And um, this is on a day where, as you often are on Australian films, you're running behind schedule. 
And we had a drone um, camera that we were using for the first time and Tim had been told, and I already knew this, which is what's very strange, um, but no one else seemed to have bothered to query whether or not Tim knew how to drive manual. We discussed it earlier. And I was like, well, why don't they just get me to drive it? Like, I was the only one out of me, Dan, and Tim who knew how to drive manual. So well. I was saying, why don't they just let me drive the car? I'll drive the car. I'll drive the car. And so Tim kept waiting around for someone to give him driving lessons, and it sort of all got lined up, ready to go, and then it sort of struck everybody that Tim didn't know how to drive manual. So they took him for one trip um, to, to learn how to drive manual, which, you know, we all know if anyone who drives manual that one one ride is probably not enough to teach you how to use the car. Um <laughs> But he had about two shots that we had to get this in because the sun was setting very quickly and drone shots take a little while to set up. So there he was and he went to go and drive and he stalled the first time. Everyone's going, oh, God, this is going to be a nightmare. So then he managed to get take, took off, went up to the top of the hill and we called cut and then I was like, all right, move over, I'll drive it down. I absolutely moved it back down the back down the driveway of this property, pulled it up, and I kept saying, Luke, listen, Luke, you know, it's not too late. I can drive the car. And they're like, oh, we can't. The shop's already set up. And he went to do it one more time, and um, I went to drive it back, and uh, and I stalled. <laughs> and nobody, nobody ever let me leave it down. The one person who claimed that you had to drive manual stalled the car. And oh my gosh, that was funny. But I still maintain, I still maintain that it would have been really awesome to have a cool driving scene with Anya turning around the bush in a in a manual Ute. Um, so maybe if there's maybe if that ends up in the sequel, if everybody if everybody puts it forward enough, we might be able to get that in the sequel with a cool car chase. Not yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, he didn't mention that punchline, so that that's why he oh, wanted yeah. me to ask you it. <laughs> right. Yeah, he wanted me to drop myself in it all, all on my own. <laughs> Um, Sophie, it's been fantastic talking to you and we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join the Cinema Australia podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and I hope everybody enjoys the film.